Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks. I am your host, Tracy Thomas, reminding you all to check out our social media accounts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find that all in the show notes, links to all those pages. I'm also on Goodreads if you want to know what I'm reading day to day. So go check that out. Please make sure that you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, I am asking you to rate and review this show. I just wanted to read to you the most recent review we got so you can hear how simple and easy it is to review the show. And it really does go a long way. LaRacha said, quote, Tracy was born to have a podcast about books. Great conversations. I really enjoyed listening to The Stacks. Go listen. Super easy. We're so appreciative. So be like LaRacha and give us a little rating and review on iTunes if that's where you listen to the show. Also, last week I announced that we just launched our Patreon page. Some of you have had questions. So here's what Patreon is. Patreon is a simple way for you to contribute to this podcast every month. And in return, you get cool, exclusive rewards. They're really awesome things like finding out who our next guest is going to be a little bit earlier and exclusive content, as well as being able to contribute questions to this show each week. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, we're calling our patrons members of the Stacks Pack. So if you want to be part of that group, we would really appreciate it. It goes a long way and you can rest easy knowing that you are making independent podcasting a reality. So I thank you so much. Um, If you're able to contribute, we really, really appreciate it. Okay. This week on the podcast, our guest is Aaron Dolores. Aaron is the founder of Black Arrow FC, which is a lifestyle brand at the intersection of soccer and black culture. This week, with the World Cup starting on Thursday, we discuss soccer and its relationship in the African-American community and in the global black community. We also talk about the African diaspora, the power of storytelling, and a lot more. Also, Aaron has a super unique relationship to reading as he finds it very challenging. So we discuss his challenges and how they affect his reading life in general. This episode's a little bit different than what you're used to. So I hope that you'll listen and be excited to hear about soccer and all that jazz. So uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Aaron Dolores. Hi, y'all, and welcome back to The Stacks. I am Tracy Thomas, and I am here today with my guest, Aaron Dolores. Aaron is the founder of Black Arrow, which is a lifestyle brand that focuses on the intersection of soccer and black culture. Aaron, welcome to the show. 
Thank you for having me. I'm Tracy Thomas. I'm so excited you're here. Aaron, why don't you do a little better job of introducing yourself? Tell the people about you and maybe just a little bit about Black Arrow. Really, I'm just a brother from Oakland, California, and I was raised in the 80s. And um, about a year ago, I founded Black Arrow, as you said, which is about the intersection of soccer and black culture. Did a bunch of other stuff leading up to that, but um, it looks like this is turning out to be my lifelong um, project. Okay. So um, it's really sent me on to a, a deep dive into um, soccer, soccer culture, um, the politics, um, the history, and kind of um, you know discovering a lot about um, the African diaspora um, and, and Black history, you know, through through soccer. Awesome. And when did you kind of come to soccer? How did you decide, you know, that it was going to be sports or that it was going to be soccer specifically? Yeah. So um, during the last World Cup in. 2014, um, a friend of mine who I won't, won't name his name. Um, do I know this friend of yours? You may, (laughs) he might be your brother. Oh, okay. Oh, that (laughs) friend. Sorry. Right. Him. Okay. Cool. 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 (laughs) Decided that, um, instead of going to Brazil, we should go to Europe and for the world cup and time it. So we're in different parts of, um, Europe when they have their world cup games happening with the idea of being like, you know, the second best option from going to the games themselves is actually being in um, in the streets, um, in these in these cultures and in these communities while they're watching the, the you know their their nation play during the World Cup. So when you agreed to go on this trip, you weren't a soccer fan. No, not really. You just um, were kind of going to party. I played when <laughs> I was in high school, and. You know, I I didn't dislike it, but I just didn't really have like a huge interest in it. And more than anything, I was just really into baseball and basketball and football. And there's only so many sports that you can follow. Okay, got it. So you go on this trip with your friends and someone that I may or may not be related to. And what happened? Like how how did that end up being the thing that got you into soccer? Yeah, so the first place that we landed was in Croatia and we were in this town called Pula, which is um, right on the coast and they have a, a Roman Colosseum. So they have one of the most like intact um, ancient Roman Colosseums. And the mayor of that town decided the night before to show the um, World Cup game, Croatia's World Cup game in that Colosseum. They were playing Brazil, who was the host of the World Cup. So this was you know, the whole world was watching and, um, you know, 15,000 people pile into this, you know, ancient uh, Coliseum and um, Croatia actually scored first. So, you know, all these flares are going off and everybody's kind of going crazy. So that really thrusted me into, um, you know, it it was a historical venue and it was uh, also a historical moment, modern moment for Croatia. Um, And so just kind of thinking about, um, you know, history and, and, you know, it's like you're being thrust into the textbooks in in that moment. Um, And so when I got back, I just started thinking about, you know, where do black people fit into this just as a level of curiosity, not wanting to start a business or anything like that. And, you know, as you start to scratch the surfaces in soccer, you find that one black people 
have been playing soccer, you know, since the beginning of time, which is actually where we got the name Black Arrow. Okay. This could be an interesting story to tell. I would like to hear the story. On this podcast. Talk about it. Which is, um, there is a poet by the name of Gil Scott Heron. Yes. Very familiar. You're familiar with him? I am. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> is this a competition? <laughs> obviously, he, um, you know, revolution will not be televised. Yeah. And, you know, essentially he um, paved the way for hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um and I was doing some research on him when I was looking for, you know, the name of what became Black Arrow because I wanted to root the name in something that um, was bringing history forward. Okay. Um, and so <clears throat> I stumbled on this, you know, story, which was Gil Scott Heron's father was a professional soccer player. Oh. And he was born in Jamaica. Okay. Um, came to the United States. Um, gave birth to Gil Scott Heron, um, and then was scouted by um, the Celtic, and um, which is one of the most you know famous teams in Europe. They play in Scotland. Um, so this was in like the mid forties, I believe. Okay, you know, long before Jackie Robinson and some of these other things. Um, so he became the first black player to play for this um, you know, legendary team. And the fans, because he was really fast and athletic, had nicknamed him the Black Arrow. Oh. So um, So it's paying homage to him because he was an early, famous black Yeah, and, and, and also like one of the things that we do through the brand is seeing soccer as a way to connect the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. So myself just personally really being into Jamaican culture, you know, you have a Jamaican who came to the United States and gave birth to a, um, an African American, mm-hmm. um, who had played a, a large role in, um, you know, in music and, um, you know, p- the progressive movement through, sure. through his poetry, um, and then went to go play overseas. So, um, I think music is a big part of like what our brain brings to, to, um, soccer, okay. you know, just like, um, hip hop in the NBA kind of mm-hmm. have that connection. So um, I thought that'd be a, a cool representation of, of what our brand could, could try to participate in. I love that. Um, I want to kind of circle back a little bit to your world cup, world cup trip in 2014. So this year is world cup 2018. Mm-hmm. First question is now that you're so deeply involved in soccer four years later, what are you looking forward to that maybe you know, you would have missed as a newcomer to soccer four years ago? For this World Cup, actually, we're doing a big travel trip to Colombia. Okay. And we're going to Cartagena, mm. which I believe you may have I been just there, was there recently. It's amazing. They have a great little bookstore too. It's real cute. Nice. I wish I remember the name. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll, I'll put everything we talk about in the show notes, so don't worry. But I'll put that book. It's like Libros y something. Uh, awesome. So, Super fluent. Um. Cartagena is, um, we're, we're basically, one of the reasons that we chose that is because, you know, Afro-Latino people are often kind of forgotten when you, when Americans think of, you know, um, black history and black culture sure. right? and, um, you know, the slave ships, they landed in Brazil and Colombia and the Caribbean right. and the United States. Cartagena had one of the biggest, uh, slave ports correct. in South America, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And that was basically, um, where, you know, Afro-Colombians, you know, originated. Um, and 
So, you know, through our trips, actually, when the schedule came out, um, we saw that Colombia was playing Senegal. Mm. Um, and so, you know, just doing some research based on, you know, this is going to be a huge game. It's the third um, the third game in the, the group stage, which is, you know, be a very decisive game for these two teams. And, um, you know, I was kind of doing some research as to, like, what is the connection between these, these two places? Um you know, off the the coast of Senegal is um, off the coast of Dakar is Gory Island, which is where the slavery museum is. Is the point of no return okay. for the slaves. It's okay. one of the places where the slaves were getting processed mm-hmm. to, you know, get shipped off. And um, guess where they were going? Colombia. Exactly, Bingo. and specifically Cartagena. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so it's a it's a historical moment right the for for the african diaspora we're talking about literally the moment of leaving the continent and arriving in the new the quote-unquote new world that's pretty powerful yeah for sure and you know when you have these two teams that are playing each other in the biggest you know tournament um on earth it, it gives you kind of the incentive to actually um find out what the connection between these two places are and um it's it's obviously very strong and it's also what's interesting um is that it's it's really under researched i was just going to say i mean i don't feel like that's something that i'm going to hear on espn being <laughs> like did you like alexi lawless being like did you know these two countries are connected through the african slave trade exactly exactly yeah and you know i would say that there's still a lot of research to be done like um specifically to like where were the you know exactly where were the slaves coming from and um, what was their, you know, just the right now in the experience for black people in Colombia is very similar still to today as it is in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Afro Colombians, um, you know, have a very rich, you know, music and um, culture and food. And a lot of it goes directly back to, Africa culturally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the sounds and some of their music and some of the foods and stuff like that so there's still some tracing to be done Mm -hmm. um to to kind of if you were to say hey Colombia or Senegal to somebody people wouldn't really assume that That they're connected connection I see um that's very cool I just, I don't even think we did a very good job of explaining what Black Arrow is. I'm now like thinking, I'm like, we're 10 minutes in and maybe people don't quite understand it. Um, But I would love for you kind of just to explain, you know, it's a lifestyle brand, but what does that mean? Like, how can people get involved in Black Arrow and what does it mean to be involved in Black Arrow and what are you guys or what are you trying to do with a brand? I know that's a lot of kind of different questions, but walk us through how it works and how people could be part of Black Arrow. Yeah. So, you know, what we do is a combination of one, um, create, uh, online content. Okay. So, um, we've done some short videos like telling the story of, um, Gil Scott Heron's father. Okay. Um, we did a video called why black folks love arsenal. Mm. Um, we, um, did a video profiling Atlanta United, which is the MLS team in Atlanta and how they, um, use hip hop, um, you know, in their, and their chants and stuff that their supporters group is called the footy mob. Oh, um, <laughs> I like that. Um, and we're filming a documentary currently in Kenya. Um, 
and and by way of also in in England and Manchester. So creating digital content, basically doing you know narrative based storytelling around um, the impact that Black people you know formerly have and currently have in in the sport. And then we also <clears throat> create um, events, basically you know experiences to you know engage um, you know ourselves and and allies in um, experiences that are centered around soccer. Um, so, you know, we did a trip where, you know, we all get on a bus together and sit in the same section and go to an MLS game. We did a party in Atlanta called the Kit Classic where everybody had to wear a different soccer jersey in order to get in. So that's like an ode to the, you know, 90s NBA throwback jersey culture, right? Which one did you wear? <laughs> I actually wore um, a... My girlfriend got me the uh, Korean national team Ooh. jersey. Um, so um, I wore that jersey. Were you the only person in that jersey? Of course. Proud of you. <laughs> Very proud. <laughs> of course. Um, so here's a question, though. Is black, obviously, it's focused on the African diaspora and black folks and black culture, but it's not exclusively for black people. It's just kind of telling this, those stories or sharing those stories with the world, bringing them to the forefront. Yeah, I mean – you know, it's like BET, right? Sure. Not only black people watch you know, get BET. to watch BET. Right. It's just... Um, but that's the focus of what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. That's Got the it. focus of what we're doing. And and we, and I personally encourage everybody, you know, like my girlfriend, Jane, is Korean. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the most uh, famous players in England, um, Sunny, is Korean. And, um, you know, that's her favorite player, of Got course, it. right? So... Um, you know, we, it, this is like our, what our focus is because we want to create projects that are rooted in our culture and the things that we know and the things that we understand. Um, but it, it's not a thing to like segregate sure. ourselves from anyone else. Um, and you know, we, I like to, I wear, I'm wearing a Japan Jersey right now. Um, so, you know, it's also a way to, um, you know, highlight, uh, seeing ourselves in other cultures as well. Like for sure. instance, um, one of my favorite players is from Belgium and mm -hmm. he's on the Belgian national team. So I, you know, been wearing his jersey and it's like for as as a and he's black. Okay. Of course. So, you know, as an African American, like I think it's pretty cool to be able to wear a Belgian national team jersey with a black eye on it. Mm -hmm. You know? Um it, it it allows me to show more interest in you know, Belgian history and culture right. and stuff like that. So, so it's open. And if people want to like, like, let's say you're going to be in Atlanta again and you guys are going to do an event, like how do people find out about Black Arrow? Is it all through social media? Is there like newsletter type stuff or? Yeah, just through our website, Black Arrow FC, you know, social media. If you just search um, Black Arrow I'm asking this because I know you guys are all going to Columbia and like I kind of wasn't invited. And so I'm just trying to figure out like in the future, if you guys are going somewhere that I want to go, how do I find out about it? Because you and my brother kind of like planned this trip and then it was a little awkward in the house just saying. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we we push it out through all of our you know social media channels and through our website and through email. So that's one of the things like in the digital age is it's, you know, it's like, how do you reach people? Mm -hmm. Right. It's either... They got to be following you. You got to send a text message. So, 
our brand, you know, lives in all of the places where, you know, your eyes are, are hopefully, um, you know, looking at. So Got it. Facebook, Instagram, Got it. The website. Okay. So yeah. I basically just need to follow Black Arrow if I want to come to Columbia next time. If you want it, you'll find it. I- <laughs> okay. So before we start talking a little bit more about books, I do want to ask you, since you are our resident soccer genius, you're the official soccer guru of the Stacks podcast. I need to know, one, who you think is going to win the World Cup, okay. two, who you would like to win the World Cup, and three, your dark horse team that you're like, they could, and I hope, but like Germany, you know, that kind of thing, or okay. England, or whoever's supposed to be good. So um, I think that Brazil is going to win the World Cup. Okay. They're really good at soccer. Uh, they have, you know, right now there's... You know, it used to be prior to this season, th- the three top players in the world are generally considered to be um, Ronaldo. Okay. Plays for Portugal. I know him. Um, Messi. Yes. Lionel. Of Argentina. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Neymar, who's um, Brazilian. Brazilian. Yeah. So um, obviously anytime you're looking at a favorite, you're thinking, you know, whoever has the best player also really has mm-hmm. a really good chance, which is... Um, you know, generally true, but, uh, you know, you can't do it yourself. So I would say like of the big three, um, Neymar has a supporting cast that, of other like superstars Got that, it. um, you know, would lead anyone to believe that Brazil is probably going to win. Okay. Yeah. So that's your, okay. But who, who do you want to win? Like if it were up to you, who would you want to win? So Nigeria. Okay. Yeah. Um, and one, they have really cool <laughs> uniforms. They're the green um, and white? Yep. Okay. Yep. The Super Eagles. Um, in in Africa, basically, the two sub-Saharan teams that qualified are Nigeria and Senegal. Okay. Um, you also have Egypt and Tunisia. So um, I'm definitely rooting for Nigeria. Um, you know, they, is this because you like them or is this like an Issa Rae, I'm rooting for anyone black type thing? <laughs> It starts as it starts as um, you know anyone black, but you know when you look at the history of soccer, it's really like British um, colonialization that mm-hmm. brought soccer all around the world. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, and they obviously brought that to Nigeria. So um, you know, I I think it's just pretty cool to you know it, it's taken time for these countries for obvious reasons to you know develop the the quality that it takes to like win the world cup and you're starting to get to a point where now um you know countries like senegal or nigeria um have some of the infrastructure that's needed and the level of coaching and training and some of these other things a lot of the nigerian players are playing in the top leagues so um you know there's kind of a an underdog story Mm -hmm. to it um which you know I'm super excited to see how it all plays out. Okay. And then the last question was, what's a team that's like kind of like your long shot or is that Nigeria? They're a long shot too. They're, they're, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're a long shot. I would say, um, Senegal is, um, you know, I'm starting to just learn a lot about like Senegalese culture in Mm -hmm. Oakland. There's a Senegalese restaurant that I really like to go to. So, um, do you want to give them a shout out or? Bissabail, Bob. Okay, maybe they'll be a sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. There's one in San Francisco and Oakland. Okay. So you're Senegal, Nigeria, Brazil. Yeah. Amazing. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So before we go on to kind of talk about books, I just want to quickly shout out our actual sponsor, which is Audible. They have over 180,000 audiobooks. Um, their catalog is huge and insane and amazing. And for anybody who listens to this show, you get a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. And all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash the stacks. It's super easy. It's 30 days for free. And they're our sponsor and they support us. So we want to support them. Um, Can I sign up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have Audible? I'm going to get it. Well, you'll get it. Yeah. And you'll get okay. it for free for 30 days and a book. And you can pick any book you want. You can pick a book about like Senegalese culture. Boom. That's what I'm going to Tie it do. in. Tie it in. There you go. Okay. Aaron, it's time for you to talk to me about books. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. Let's just start off my favorite kind of first easy softball. What are two books that you love? <laughs> well, my favorite book of all time is Roots. Mm, Alex Haley. Mainly because I was just so damn proud of myself of... Uh, not even finishing the book, but just 
attempting to read it yeah. because of its sheer size. Yeah. Um, and you know, reading has always been very challenging for mm-hmm. me. Okay. Um, so it, I, it, I would say it probably took me about four months to read that book. Wow. Um, cause I can only read in like short, um, periods of time. Um, so that, that's to, to this day, uh, you know, one of my, my favorite books. And I just learned a lot about, um, myself and, you know, and my own family. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, um, I don't know about, I mean, I do know that your dad is similar to my dad, uh, you know, older black folk, black men who, you know, from the South, from the South of the great American black diaspora. And there was a lot, I remember my dad was very important as kids that we watched that movie, like maybe a little young too. Like maybe, (laughs) you know, Brady, my brother and your best friend, you guys are a little older than me, but I feel that maybe it was appropriate for Brady to watch it at 12, but like maybe not for me to watch it at eight. Right. But I do, I've never read the book, but I've always had real strong feelings about that book because I know how important it was, and I'm yeah. almost scared to go back and read it and watch it, knowing now that it was made in the 70s. And like, I'm sure, a little problematic, probably, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like, more recently, I've started to do some more research into the black side of my family. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my dad gave me a um, a family tree, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm very fortunate that that's amazing that there's individuals in my family that have really kept, um, you know, documented all the history Mm -hmm. and all, you know, basically like, uh, one woman who was, uh, um, a freed slave, Mm. uh, gave birth to like, I think it was seven kids and that's, and those kids basically are what started our entire family tree. Oh, wow. And, you know, they have a lot of the, the history written of like the church that they went to and, Mm. Um, you know, all, all of the kind of things that I think come up, you know, later on in, Mm -hmm. in roots and, you know, literally tracing it back to, um, you know, people who were slaves. So, um, you know, I think it's, uh, really, I actually have an aunt that I did some, I recorded her last year. Um, she's 101 years old Mm. and, um, you know, I have, I got some footage of her before she passes and she's still alive today. Um, you know, talking about, you know, life in America in 1920s. Um, and you know, she, she's lived in Mississippi her entire life. So, so this um, has got to be a book too, right? You're going to let me write this book. It's going to be a video (laughs) because, um, it'd be a little bit harder to, to write, but you know, she was, you know, housing the Freedom Riders and she was, you know, very um, ahead of her time, not, like not only for black folks, but also for women. Wow. Um, she she went back to school and graduated, got her degree when she was about 65 years old, because obviously at that time women weren't going to, sure. to college as much. So I say that to say that when I uh, one thing that really motivate motivates me to tell or try to tell my family's history is because I know that it's the same for a lot of other mm-hmm. black folks mm-hmm. and a lot of other families um, didn't have the, you know, luxury or foresight or ability to trace a lot of that, sure. that stuff. So um, it's all the, it's, it's what what's it powerful about roots is for other black people to read a story in and of itself. That's really interesting, has an amazing narrative but is in one way or another the same story 
that, you know, all of our, you know, ancestors went through in this country. Right. That's amazing. Well, also just makes me think like you actually come from a long line of people who are telling the story of the African diaspora. And now you're doing this with Black Arrow, which is kind of cool. For sure. Like that's like in in you, right? Like you're you come from a line of storytellers, apparently. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, I really thought about that. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm here for, to connect the dots for your life. There you go. Okay, what's another book that you love? Um, I'm going to go with Game of Thrones, mm. the first one. Okay. Another big book. You like a big book. <laughs> you just want to sink your teeth into it. If I'm going to read, I'm going to, you know. Really get through it. I'm going to really get through it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not a book that um, I have any interest in, but you watch the show. I watched the show, and I actually read the book after watching the, oh, you did? the show. And do you plan on reading the other books or one was enough? Well, I got through the first two. Okay. And I think I got the point. You feel good. Yeah. Feel like you're strong. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Um, what about a book that you hate? Um, I don't really have any books that I hate because like I said, reading is difficult enough for me. So if there's a, if I'm, if a book doesn't catch me, mm-hmm. I put it down easily. Okay. And what makes reading difficult for you? I just have a very short attention span. Okay. Um, and you know, actually another funny thing about your brother, mm-hmm. when I was young, I was um, diagnosed with being um, dyslexic. Oh, okay. And, you know, Brady's a year and a half younger than me. But um, one of the things that had sent my mom into like a get to try to figure out what was going on with me was I came home and I was like, how come Brady can read better than me? And I'm older than him. <laughs> um, so that's so you know, funny. Not only did I, was I diagnosed with being dyslexic, but um, you know, she actually took me to uh, a therapist who I found out as I got much older, that essentially this therapist's job was to convince me that I was smart when I was really wow. young because because I had a hard time reading. So you felt like behind. I felt behind and I felt pretty stupid Got it. when I was younger. Um, luckily, I was cocky and confident in a lot of other, other ways. Things, so yeah. it, it didn't actually like get to me. Right. Um, You're, but, you were fast. I remember that. Yeah. We had a teacher. I was fast and beautiful. That you beat. Okay. That's subjective. <laughs> we had a teacher in elementary school, Miss Stanford, and she was really fast. And I remember she used to always race like the fourth and fifth graders and like nobody could beat her. And I remember you beat her. Yes. And that was like a big deal. Definitely. Also definitely. someone my year beat her, Brian Lickie. Also fast, also cocky, <laughs> also good looking. So there's a th- there's something there. For sure. Um, yeah. I mean, when you're young, <laughs> it, that actually is like when you think about how do you build your personality and your confidence right like sports is one way and then like school like how you socialize right how you see yourself like your your positioning in the classroom sure how the teacher responds to you how the other kids respond to you know you uh, socially and academically so um like as we're saying this out loud, I'm thinking to myself how maybe how important sports was because it gave you a place to kind of shine. It gave me a place to shine, and now I'm wondering like, what if I didn't have that? Like, right. what would my overall confidence, you know, yeah. be like? Well, I know in the education system in America, like a lot of black and brown boys are labeled quote unquote bad because they're not great at school for whatever reason. Sometimes it's that they're dyslexic, dyslexic, and right. sometimes it's that they're actually really smart and they're bored. 
and they don't respond. Or sometimes their teacher treats them disrespectfully. So they respond, you know, so it's like, if you don't have teachers and parents that are able to kind of zero in on what's going on and a kid who has the foresight to say, Hey mom, how come this kid who's younger than me is reading better than me or whatever it is? Like that's how kids kind of get washed out of school, even really smart, you know, critical thinkers, which I, not to compliment you too much, but I think that you are one of those, (laughs) but it's like, you can be all these things and struggle with math or English or whatever it is. And if you don't have advocates in your house or in your education system, right? Like it's so easy to lose that confidence and to, you know, become reclusive as in the classroom. Yeah. And, or to quote, be called bad. And then you start acting bad. For sure. And there's also that school just the way school is set up right. doesn't play into like what my strengths are. Right. And so I just, I don't have a good memory. Um, so that, that, that was it for a, a big part of it. Like I can take in information, like you could sit there and write down, you know, one word and like, I, I can't even spell like calendar or catalog mm-hmm. still to this day. I have a hard time spelling things. So um, in math, you have to have a pretty good memory in science. You have to, you know, a right. lot of it is just regurgitating right. is memorizing. some of those things. So, um, you know, that's when people kind of like, you know, my, my mom's white. Um, and so I've always been mine that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and your mom was my mom. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I always tell people that, I was raised with white privilege. Right. And I think that, you know, my mom having the money, um, having the, you know, her, her prior education and, you know, her positioning in life, you know, allowed her to have that foresight and to send me to that therapist. And so, you know, being mixed race, you know, I got to kind of see very clearly, like, what is, what does it mean to have white privilege? And, right. and and for me, it meant that my mom was really able to navigate me through school mm-hmm. and kind of cover some of my, my weaknesses, Sure, get me in the right classes, the right programmings. You know, in high school, I didn't pass Spanish. And so, you know, you had to pass a graduate and she just went in. She was just like, you know what? My son can't pass. So you're going to graduate him. They're like, oh, okay. They're like, makes sense. Perfect. Thank you. Your mom's also a little intimidating. Yeah. So I feel like that makes sense. Um, That's super interesting, though. It's interesting to think about, you know, as I sit here and I talk about books with a lot of different people, that not everybody's relationship with books is the same. And that, you know, the ability to read, whether it be, you know, for pleasure or you're reading for information and you're dyslexic or you're illiterate or whatever it is, that your relationship to books, everyone's relationship to books is special and unique. And I think that's what makes me love books so much is that you and I can read the same book and have a totally different experience because not just what you take from it, but also your experience with the book, like the challenge of it or whatever. Yeah. You know, I think that's sure. super interesting. Which is why like when I read, I primarily, you know, right now I'm reading soccer books because... Well, that was my next question <laughs> is what are you currently reading? Um, I'm reading a book <laughs> called The Language of the Game. And it's about soccer. And it's about soccer. Um, And basically the author, um, every chapter is about a certain position. So Mm. you have like strikers, goalie, midfield, midfielders, uh, defensive players. Do they still call the position a sweeper? Is that a thing still? That is. um, We used to have that in like North Oakland Little League soccer or whatever. The higher (laughs) leagues don't use that as a strategy as much anymore. 
I was right. a strong sweeper, so it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. No that was deal. a big thing for Americans. Really, okay. really into that. Oh yeah, we innovated. Obviously, <laughs> really good. At, we're so good at soccer. We innovated the sweeper and then didn't make the World Cup. So just <laughs> nailing it. Um, That's interesting. So it just basically takes the positions and kind of expands on what they do, or does it make it like yeah, a broader so point? It's it's broader, so it it will go through a few different things. So like, um, who are some of the famous players to play that position? Mm. And then it will talk about he talks about the um like the mental makeup of like what is it to be a goalie? Mm-hmm. How do you to be a good goalie, how do you have to be built? Like right. what does it say about your character? I see. Um and then, you know, also he'll he'll tie it into, you know, philosophical things and um and, and cultural things. And he also does a really good job of talking about um you know, certain countries that, you know, have, you know, Argentina has had really good strikers. And, I see. So um, like culturally are certain countries like creating like, yeah. cu- their cultural personification. Yeah. And it soccer. also goes into the history of soccer a lot, which is, re- I'm glad that I started reading this book because modern soccer, you know, we think of soccer as this very like, um, you know, s- stagnant sport it's just mm-hmm. very simple and always has mm-hmm. been like that but um you know there is a t- the game of soccer has really really changed a lot to what we see today mm. um even to the point where you didn't be you know they like people didn't even move you just pass the ball around to like different positions and stuff like that um so he, he the book goes into certain players and individuals who really rev- revolutionized the mm-hmm. sport mm-hmm. Um, one of them being um, this uh, uh, guy from Holland who um, created this concept of like total soccer, which mm. basically um, when when soccer was first started getting big, all the players kind of you only played your position. So the defenders passed the ball to the midfielders the midfielders passed the ball to the strikers and the strikers scored. Yes. And when this guy developed this idea of total soccer, it's basically that like any player on the field at any time could fill in one of these positions. I see. And so it made the game a lot more like fluid. And, and that's now kind of where we are. That's now I where see. we are. Yeah. I see. Interesting. Um, I am looking at your book right now and I just want to make a really just quick point to my listeners. Um, Aaron does something with his books that also drives me absolutely crazy, which is he uses the book jacket as a bookmark. So that's kind of fine, you know, in the first 10 pages. But then when you kind of get halfway through the book, which is what I'm saying, I'll post a picture of this on Instagram. Don't worry. Um, you just completely ruin the book jacket. So just something I'm noticing about you. You're just, just a blatant disregard for book jackets. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I've never really figured out a <laughs> good strategy of how to like keep my page. So a post-it note, uh, a bookmark, I use like an airline ticket. There's a lot of things you could use. And that's what I do. It's a smorgasbord of like yeah. different strategies. So when you see this next week, it could be. Okay. Cause I, that makes else. my, like makes my stomach hurt a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm just a little judgy when it comes to book maintenance. Um, what's a book that you loved? <laughs> um, great. We're going to take a quick break. <laughs> Aaron has to use the restroom. We'll, we'll be back. <laughs> All right. While Aaron is indisposed, I'm going to take a second right now to tell you guys about our Patreon page that we just launched. If you're wondering, Patreon is a simple way for you to contribute to this podcast every month. And in return, you get cool exclusive rewards. The first thing that you get, and I think the most amazing thing, is that you get to say that you are a member of the Stacks Pack. 
which is a title that I lend out to all of my listeners who are patrons. Also, you're going to be able to have special access to add questions to our questionnaire, find out who our upcoming guests are, and a lot more. I promise the perks are pretty awesome. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash the stacks to become a member of the stacks pack. It's amazing. My mom did it, of course, because she's my mom and um, she figured it out. So it's not that complicated. You just go on there. You decide how much you're able to give each month. You do that. And then you get to rest easy knowing that you're supporting um, the work that it takes to put on a podcast that you enjoy. So thank you in advance so much for becoming part of the Stacks Pack. Thank you for contributing to what we're doing here. You're greatly appreciated. And um, that's it. And here comes Erin. And we're back. Um, listen, we're just, we're just, we podcast until we have to stop to use the restroom and then we come back and then we just keep going. Um, okay. So here's a good one. This is a one that I love because this is how I get more books for me to read. Um, what's a book that you love to recommend to people? A few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, um, I read The Power of Now. Mm. Have you read that? Mm-mm. Um, but I know all about it. It was, I was going through, I wasn't going through anything in my life, but I was having some curiosity about um, religion mm. and spirituality and, you know, find, trying to find ways that I could manipulate my mind into uh you know getting getting the feelings I wanted to mm -hmm, feel and, mm -hmm. and getting um the things out of life that I wanted to get and um I'm not like a religious person so um I was just kind of taken to you know by that by that book um didn't really know much about um anything when I when I read it and um you know it, it did a lot for me it's it's a book that um, <clears throat> sometimes I'll, I'll go back on and like have to refresh myself, um, from the principles, mm -hmm. but you know, I recommend it to people because I feel like once you read it once, you'll understand the framework mm -hmm. of, you know, what he's getting across in, in the book and you end up, um, I think using it at, um, pivotal times in your, in, in your life. Nice. Um, what about a good book that someone's recommended to you? Hmm. Um, one time I was at Venice Beach and <laughs> someone recommended I read the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, did yeah. you read it? I, you know, I read like half of it. Okay, good enough. And, um, Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I retained much from the book, but it was really interesting just um, all the wild stories that are that are in that and all the all the gods and that's very Venice Beach things. of you also it <laughs> totally feels on brand um when you're reading how do you read do you use an ebook or do you use the actual book audiobook I definitely use um a hard copy okay yeah all the time yeah well you should maybe consider doing audiobook because you can I mean you like you'll list you listen to podcasts and stuff yeah so it's kind of I mean depending on the audiobook obviously audible has that great free trial for you um but it's just, you know, the audible trial.com slash the stacks. It's free 30 day free audiobook. <laughs> no big deal. Um, the thing that's hard for me about that is that in my phone is so much other, there's so many other things that I yeah. have access to. Mm. So that's why I always go with the hard yeah. copy because like I just carry time. that around mm -hmm. and it forces me to, to read it. Yeah, I see. I understand. I'm not huge on audiobooks, but I have found a few that I like. I mean, um, should, everyone should get audible, but. 
Yeah, everyone should get Audible because there are good audiobooks. I personally like to read, but I've started listening to audiobooks just like when I take a shower and like doing other, like when I can't be reading, but yeah. I want to be reading, which is always. Um, okay, what's a book where you feel like maybe you learned a lot or like, you know, you you were exposed to new ideas or something like that? Um, I'm actually finishing up a book um, on Joe Kadenge, who is um, – the most famous Kenyan soccer player of all time. And mm. we are um, doing a documentary on him. So oh. someone wrote um, you know, a biography of his, his life and um, what he meant means to Kenyan soccer. Mm. So the book really um, allowed me to better understand, um, you know, when you film in a documentary, you are also creating a new story. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to better understand who he was. And I also needed to better understand Kenyan society and culture. Sure. So um, it's, I've learned a lot. That's cool. Um, when does that documentary come out? Um, not probably sure. not until the end of the year. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure if you follow Black Arrow FC, you'll be able to find it. Um, are there any books that you feel, you know, proud that you've read? Yeah. Um, as I think I read... Malcolm X mm. as a as a young adult. Sure. Such um, a good book. And the autobiography of Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Another Alex Haley. And you know, I tried to read it when I was a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. And I don't I didn't I don't think I was like really ready. Same exact thing happened you know, to me. To understand it. So mm-hmm. um I went back on it because it's like as a black man you gotta you, you know gotta read if it. somebody asks you you gotta say yeah. that you read it you, you know so yeah you want to keep that card it was a defensive read sure but it's so good right <laughs> yeah oh definitely. it was just well we're recording this in may but it was just his birthday the other day anyway shout out shout, 93rd birthday to the brother yeah um what about any books that you're embarrassed that you've read um you see, I, I feel like finishing a book is a sense of accomplishment. Okay. Like I said, as someone who doesn't read a lot or sure. has a hard time reading. Any book feels like check plus. Yeah, and you and you should never be embarrassed to, to read something. That's nice of you to say that. I've, I read, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. I read all three, and that's embarrassing <laughs> for me. I did it, but embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> what about any books that maybe you feel embarrassed that you've never read or books that you feel like, I really should have read this book by now kind of books. Hmm. I mean, when I was in school, I don't think that I read any book that was ever assigned to me. <laughs> so basically every book that was ever assigned, you're embarrassed that you never read. Good for you. Pretty much. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. So in your childhood, did, did you have a book that maybe you did end up reading that you liked? Maybe it wasn't assigned to you, but just maybe a favorite childhood book? Yeah. Um, my mom used to read to me this. Um, she had this book of like Native American um, like fables, stories okay. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and that book always really just like captured my imagination mm. when I was younger because it's like, when you're that young and you're, you know, raised in America in this certain, you know, culture that has, you know, these this structure that you don't really realize is very um, specific to your country and your nation. Um, when you're reading stories of Native Americans and the way that they tell stories and relate to the world, it, it's literally like 
just blows your mind. Right. The, the imagination and the creativity and some of the other stuff. So, um, that was, there's a book about, there's a story about how this one wolf, um, ate his, his anus. Oh. Um, yeah. Some, some other animals when he was sleeping and cut it off and put it on the fire that he was, um, making. And then he woke up and he ate it. That stuck with you. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) I was probably seven. I don't know why my mom was reading me that, you know, that type of stuff. I think she just wanted to ingrain in me maybe a different um, perspective of the world. Sure. Yeah. Children's books. Um, Okay. This is the one that I stole from the New York Times that I just love so much. Um, If you could require the president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? The current one. The current one. Yeah. Um, no, another book that I just read is a group of um, speeches from uh, Marcus Garvey, mm. and um, it's really again like it's it's interesting when you are a lot older and you start to refine these historical figures that you were, um, you know taught when you were younger but like didn't quite get but you didn't quite get it yeah you know and so you know marcus garvey's whole thing you know outside of like he saw at the african people you know globally as one nation Mm -hmm. and he really wanted to um connect um black people globally and he wanted us to operate as a nation he wanted us to pull our resources together he wanted us to um, basically his idea was like, we're never going to get this through, um, these white systems and these, these white governments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he was really just ahead of his time because, you know, he was, this was in like the twenties right, in the thirties. Um, and you know, to, to read some of the, the things that he was talking about in that time that are still very relevant today mm-hmm. is really powerful. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, I would have Trump read that. I don't think that he would really, you know, get it. But well, gotta start somewhere. Yeah, it's just a, just to mess with him a little bit. Um, okay, I think my last question for you is just: Can you think of any books that you've read that um, you would want to turn into a movie or TV show? Hmm. Especially since you're a Game of Thrones fan. <laughs> the next Game of Thrones movie. Um, I don't have a good answer for that. That's one. okay. You don't have to have a good answer. I was hoping that you were going to say that book that you really like, The Alchemist. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> is that a movie? I feel like it could be. Yeah. Like an adventure story, right? Yeah, yeah. Or is it too personal? Yeah, no, I mean, I guess that could be a, a really good um, movie. And it is, there, there's a clear narrative there and, you know, a lot of action and, and different things that, that happen. I think visually that would be cool because right? yeah. when someone told me to read that book, I didn't really know, like, you know, what that world was going to look like mm-hmm. that that book exists in. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be cool for, you know, some creatives to... Maybe like Ryan Coogler. Yeah. Black yeah. Panther Part 2, The Alchemist Journey. Let's do it. Alchemist to Wakanda. Okay, well, I mean, I don't have any more questions for you um, unless you have anything else you want to say. 
Nope. About, no, you're done. <laughs> Get me out of here. Um, amazing. Well, so Aaron and I will be back next week. We are talking about, um, in honor of the World Cup, we're talking about Franklin Foer's book, How Soccer Explains the World, An Unlikely Theory of Globalization. Um, so that will be next Wednesday. And until then, uh, y'all stay reading and we'll see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, we are out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our guest, Aaron Dolores, for joining us this week. Aaron will be back next week. We're going to discuss Franklin Foer's book, How Soccer Explains the World. Make sure that you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to us through iTunes, we really appreciate any rating or review you can leave. The Stacks Patreon page is now up. If you want to become one of our supporters, a member of our Stacks Pack, you go to patreon.com slash the Stacks. You pledge your monthly donation. We love it. We appreciate it. We thank you from the bottom of our heart. And in return, we're going to give you special access to the show. So please go to patreon.com slash the Stacks. Become a member of the Stacks Pack. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright. Our theme music comes from Tagirajis, and this show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.